Greetings, friends. Welcome to today's segment of the One Year Bible Tour. My name is David McAdam, and what a blessing it is to have God's Word before us and to be able to learn more of His wisdom and power as we take in the sights and gain a greater vocabulary to help us articulate God's plan of redemption centered in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. We are in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Those of you who are familiar with Jesus speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 about being born again will recognize that Jesus was referring to an incident in this particular Old Testament chapter as a foreshadowing type of God's plan of salvation which he would accomplish as he himself would be our sin-bearing substitute lifted up on the pole just like the serpent of brass in the wilderness. So let's get started. As we will see in the conquest of Canaan, It was not the Israelites as much as the Lord himself who was using Israel as his instrument of bringing judgment against these Canaanite nations. We read in Genesis chapter 15 verse 16, Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. In other words, God was giving these nations opportunities to repent, but now their stubbornness was proven and the opportunity had passed The cup of iniquity was now full. So we start in Numbers chapter 21 with the Canaanite king of Arad being destroyed. Numbers 21 verse 1. When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negeb, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Atharim, he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel, and gave over the Canaanites, and they devoted them and their cities to destruction. So the name of the place was called Hormah. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord, that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And the people of Israel set out and camped in Oboth. And they set out from Oboth and camped at Lai-Abarim in the wilderness that is opposite Moab toward the sunrise. From there they set out and camped in the valley of Zered. From there they set out and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites, for Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore it is said in the book of wars of the Lord, Waheb in Suppah, and the valleys of Arnon, and the slope of the valleys that extends to the seat of Ar, and leans 
to the border of Moab. And from there they continued to Be'er, that is the well of which the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together, so that I may give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing to it, the well that the princes made, that the nobles of the people dug, with a scepter and with their staffs. And from the wilderness they went on to Matana, and from Matana to Nahaliel, and from Nahaliel to Bamoth, and from Bamoth to the valley lying in the region of Moab, by the top of Pisgah that looks down on the desert. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into field or vineyard. We will not drink the water of a well. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. He gathered all his people together and went out against Israel to the wilderness and came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. And Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok as far as the Ammonites, for the border of the Ammonites was strong. And Israel took all these cities and Israel settled in all the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon and in all its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all his land out of his hand, as far as the Arnon. Therefore the ballad singers say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built, let the city of Sihon be established. For fire came out from Heshbon, flame from the city of Sihon. It devoured Ar of Moab and swallowed the heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, O Moab! You are undone, O people of Chemosh! He has made his sons fugitives and his daughters captives to an Amorite king, Sihon. So we overthrew them. Heshbon, as far as Dibon, perished, and we laid waste as far as Nophah. Fire spread as far as the Medeba. Thus Israel lived in the land of the Amorites, and Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they captured its villages and dispossessed the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up by the way to Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edrai. But the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand, and all his people and his land. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So they defeated him and his sons and all his people, until he had no survivor left and they possessed his land. Chapter 22 Balak Summons Balaam Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people, because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us, as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amor, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, they cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, 
For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you, as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me I will do. Come, curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you, too, please stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. And this is the end of our Old Testament reading today. Once again, we end with a cliffhanger. We will continue tomorrow, but let's look at what we've read today. Remember, this book is sometimes referred to as the book of murmuring or the book of wandering. Instead of taking God at his word and trusting him for victory over the descendants of Esau, the Edomites, the Israelites turn away and go south, eventually passing to the east side of the Dead Sea. The people become impatient with God and Moses and murmur against them. The Lord sends chastisement, fiery serpents, whose poisonous bites infect them with a terminal illness. This death sentence provokes repentance to the degree that the people come to Moses and acknowledge their sin. They ask Moses to intercede for their deliverance. In verse 8 we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Moses is given instruction in these two verses that in the New Testament, Jesus will use as a picture of the plan of salvation. In John's Gospel, chapter 3, he instructs a spiritually curious expert in the Torah named Nicodemus how a person can be born again. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John chapter 3, verses 10 through 16. We are born again by trusting God's plan of salvation, Jesus dying on the cross as our substitute. He identifies with sin, the whole problem of sin, stemming back from the source, the serpent who was the liar and murderer from the beginning. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, 
John chapter 8, verse 44. He who knew no sin, that is Jesus, became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Moses was not commanded to put a serpent on a pole, but a serpent of brass upon a standard to be lifted up. Remember, brass is a consistent symbol of judgment in the Old Testament. What a picture of the cross of Christ! For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 8, verses 3-4 through 4. Those who, in obedience to God's Word, look to Jesus Christ, are saved from the death sentence incurred by their sin. The 19th century preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a mighty instrument in God's hand, was converted on a snowy day in Colchester, Essex, England. He ducked into a primitive Methodist chapel on Artillery Street because the snow prevented him from going to his intended destination. There he heard a barely literate layman get up and expound upon Isaiah 45:22, Look unto me and be ye saved. He used looking to the serpent on the pole in Numbers 21 as an illustration. He began thus, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, Look, oh, it does not take a deal of effort. It ain't lifting up your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man need not be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. But this is what the text says. Then it says, Look unto me, I, he said in a broad Essex accent. Many of ye are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me, I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I am hanging on the cross. Look, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look to me, look to me. Spurgeon then describes the moment that changed his life forever. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say, with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. He then said, Young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to have remarks made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before. However, it was a good blow struck. He continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death, if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment you will be saved. Then he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist can, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ. And so as the children of Israel were saved by looking to the serpent lifted upon the pole, we are saved when we look to Jesus Christ, our substitute, who loved us and died for us. The next incident we read about in the book of Numbers concerns Balaam, the pagan prophet. His inclusion in the Bible gives us a strong warning against attempts to manipulate God. Plans to manipulate God will backfire. Much time, energy, and effort are spent by Balak, the king of Moab, a type of the flesh, to try to manipulate God. The victories which the Lord granted the children of Israel over King Sihon of the Amorites and Og of Bashan send fear into the heart of Balak, 
the king of Moab. He seeks to strategize with Midian to avoid having their natural resources swallowed up by the Israelites traveling through their land. Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this horde will lick up all that is around us, as the ox licks up the grass of the field. In verse 4 of Numbers 22. In an effort to curse Israel, King Balak hires the pagan seer Balaam, who had an international reputation for supernatural dealings. Balaam lives in Pethor in northern Syria, some 400 miles north of Moab. First, Balak sends messengers on this long, expensive trip to solicit Balaam's help. Balaam gives these flattering dignitaries lodging while he makes inquiry to Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. In verse 8, we see many examples of God's sovereignty in the story of Balaam. God speaks to whom and through whomever he chooses. He can speak to Abimelech and Laban in a dream, in Genesis 20, verse 3, and chapter 31, verse 24, he can answer a pagan prophet, Balaam, and even speak through his donkey. God did come to Balaam. Perhaps it was in a dream, as the same expression is used as when God came to Abimelech and Laban. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? In verse 9, Like a parent or good counselor, God often asks questions to someone when they are in the midst of trouble, not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he wants us to trace our steps and to think about our disobedient courses of action. To Adam he asks, Where are you? To Cain he asks, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Where is your brother Abel? What have you done? God prods us with questions to help us resist temptation or to provoke repentance. In this case, if Balaam attempted to curse Israel, he would be bringing a curse upon himself. God asked Balaam, Why are you entertaining these proposals to curse those people whom I have blessed? As the Lord said to Abraham, And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 12, verse 3. The Lord says to Balaam, Do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. This is the revealed will of God. Jesus reminded his disciples that they are to pray according to his revealed will. This revelation might be called God's sovereign will of his command. Balaam tells Balak's delegation that the Lord, Yahweh, has refused to let him go with them. He does not tell them why, nor specifically that they are already irrevocably blessed. In his heart, Balaam has not shut out temptation completely. When Balak hears that his first delegation was refused, he sends another, much more impressive delegation with a more attractive offer, saying, Let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming. In other words, name your price. Balaam refuses this delegation's offer, but offers them hospitality, hinting that there was some hope that he could change his mind. Now please, you also stay here tonight, and I will find out what else the Lord will speak to me. In Numbers 22, verse 19. In his infinite mercy, God came to Balaam again at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you shall you do. What are we to make of this? Did God change his mind? His original precept, that is his will of command, stays the same. But Balaam compromised his obedience, having kept the door open to temptation. God, knowing the bent of Balaam's heart, sovereignly chooses to use Balaam for his purposes and prove that he is not to be manipulated. He, therefore, 
implements a strategy for his own choice purposes, a permissive will, his sovereign will of decree, that will work with Balaam's sinful heart. In the Bible, we see that God in his perfect knowledge works with sinners, those who violate his will, to accomplish his sovereign will of decree, which will not be thwarted. We saw this with Pharaoh who repeatedly hardened his heart. Only later we discover that God hardened his heart to demonstrate his power and glory, for God works all things after the counsel of his will. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Matthew 10, 29. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. Throughout the Bible we see that God uses people and actions he disapproves of. He sometimes uses in his sovereign will of decree those who are in opposition to his moral will of command. For example, God used the sinfulness of those who put Jesus to death to accomplish his choice purpose of redemption. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Now let's turn to the New Testament. We'll be reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, picking up on verse 26 and going through to verse 56. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. And this is the end of our New Testament reading today. The same angel named Gabriel, who brought the messianic prophecies in Daniel chapter 8 and 9, and brought the announcement of John the Baptist's birth in Luke chapter 1 verse 19 to Zacharias, is sent to Mary in Nazareth. He tells her that she has found favor with God and will be the mother of the Messiah. Mary submits to the will of God, although it remains a mystery to her how she, being a virgin and having no relationships with a man, could become the mother of the promised child. Her faith is exemplary as she responds, Be it unto me according to your word, in Luke 1.38. Gabriel tells Mary that her relative Elizabeth has conceived in her old age, encouraging her that nothing will be impossible with God. Mary visits Elizabeth and discovers that the situation is as Gabriel told her. Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting and the prophet in utero jumps with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth calls Mary blessed among women, not blessed above women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth recognizes Mary, her younger cousin, as the mother of her Lord. Mary responds to this fulfillment of God's word with a song of praise often referred to by its Latin name, the Magnificat. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, or magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. In both Elizabeth's and Mary's words, we see that both women personally recognize their need for Jesus as both Lord and Savior. And now our reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 57. And reading this psalm will be Heather McAdam. Let your glory be over all the earth. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth 
are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Thank you, Heather. As in the previous psalm, David is surrounded by those who would seek to harm him. In this case, it is King Saul and his men. David chooses to put his confidence in God rather than his own devices. His prayer is that God would be glorified in the outcome of his trial. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David praises God that he can rest in the knowledge of his mercy and his truth. He summons his own soul to worship God. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. My heart is steadfast. O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. And may these realities inspire our hearts to worship with song today. And now a reading from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11, verses 9 to 11. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. What we have here is an antithetical proverb, contrasting those who live by the wisdom of God, the righteous, and the godless, those who live by the wisdom from below, the hypocrite, or flatterer. The godless use their tongue as a weapon of destruction, destroying neighbors with slander and gossip. But the righteous have sufficient knowledge to escape and end the destruction of verbal attacks with their exemplary behavior. The next verse centers on joy, there is joy in the successful vindication of the righteous and also the demise of the wicked. Now let's pray. Eternal God and Father, you are the architect of the ages and superintend over all that occurs in time and space, working all things after the counsel of your will. We give you our trust. You loved us so much that you gave us a remedy for the fatal wound of our sin. Thank you that we can look to your Holy Son who died in our place, rose and ascended to heaven healing our damnable condition by taking our stripes on the cross. He has made peace and given us peace of mind and heart. This glad news has awakened my heart to pray with the psalmist, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. May your glory be over all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being with us today as we read through the scriptures, and I trust that your heart is full and that you will be blessed. Once again, we invite you to visit our website, newlife.org, and learn of the ministries. There are any ways we can stay in contact with you and be a blessing to you. Thank you and have a great day.